You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Good morning or good afternoon, whatever the case may be. You are here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Uh, we're here to talk pets, talk anything you want to know about pets, answer your questions, answer your emails, you name it, we're here to do it. And uh, But in order to do that, we need you to call in, we need you to join in on our conversation. Very easy to do, a number of easy ways to do it. Number one, give us a call at 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. You can also just join in on our website. You can log on to PetLifeRadio.com, click on the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff tab, and sure enough, you'll be right there. You can just join in the conversation, start typing away, and we'll get your uh, question, your comment, whatever the case may be. Send us an email, drjeff, Dr. Jeff, at PetLifeRadio.com, and our producer, Mark, will send it along. And once again, I want to thank our sponsors, because we couldn't be here without them. ProSense Pet Products, veterinary-quality products that you can find at your mass market retailers, and of course, Kong, K-O-N-G. So give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. So today, we have a special guest. She's been with us before. She has some new things to talk about, and that is Dr. Heather Lenzer. Heather, good morning. How are you? Hi, Jeff. Great. I'm really well. Thanks for having me. Good. So first of all, we want to talk about Halloween. I've been plugging this for a couple of weeks. I know you were away. You were out of the country last Mm -hmm. week. So I said, okay, we have another week. No problem. I'm doing, uh, let me see, KBC which is our local ABC affiliate on Wednesday. And then the following day I'm doing, which is just before Halloween, I'm going to be on Fox. So uh, getting around there talking about There's Halloween. There's a lot safety. of stuff to talk important. about on Halloween. So I'm looking really forward is. to that. But first, mm-hmm. I want to talk about you. And apparently you have a new position with the American Animal Hospital Association, an association, a group that I'm very familiar with as my practice is an AHA certified practice. And I want to talk about just your position. What are you doing? And let's talk a little bit about American Animal Hospital Association because I just don't think enough people know about it, enough people who take their pets to the veterinarian know about it. So kind of let's give them a little education. I love it. Well, so what is, first of all, what is your position? Well, I am, as you've said, there, there aren't a lot of people that know about the American Animal Hospital Association. So, so that that's actually part of my job is getting the word out. Because you and I are lucky. We get to be in front of the media and, and, and we get to choose some of the messages we talk about. And so this was this is what I'm doing right now. I want to educate people on why AHA, American Animal Hospital Association, why AHA is important for them, for their pet, and actually can, and for their veterinarian as well. It is an organization that has been around for a long time. It's like the best kept secret in veterinary medicine. It's been around since 1933. And its role is to accredit veterinary hospitals and show that they're adhering to a certain level of excellence. As you know, you do, it is a voluntary accreditation. And because of that, only about 12 to 15 percent, that's, you know, one, two, 12 to 15 percent of our hospitals are accredited in both nor- in North America, both the U.S. and Canada. Um, it doesn't mean these other hospitals that haven't chosen to get accredited aren't wonderful, not by any means. However, the hospitals that have decided to go through a very rigorous process where they're judged on over 900 standards of veterinary care really are going above and beyond. My first job out was with an AHA practice. And when I opened up on my own, I clearly knew that I was going to be an AHA practice. It was very tough at first because 
there are very strict standards about the actual physical plant, the facility itself. Right. And I was just taking over an old rented building. And to try to create that into an aha practice was not very easy. Right. However, when I built my brand new practice, I mean, of course, we had the aha standards in mind. And most of the architects that specialize in building veterinary hospitals are very familiar with all the AHA rules and regulations. And people need to understand, it's not just fluff. These are things that basically come down to employee safety, to pet safety, to client safety. Mm -hmm. And the protocols are such that it sort of is that it's a higher standard. Think about, you know, back in the day, we don't hear much about it, the good housekeeping seal of approval. Right. Well, in essence, AHA is that good housekeeping seal. It doesn't mean, as you mentioned, that hospitals that have chosen not to either chose because it is voluntary, there is a fee involved. In my opinion, it's totally worth it. But some just don't have the physical plant to be able to qualify. And one thing I found about AHA is they are very flexible when it comes to trying to make it work. They would like to see all their hospitals become AHA practices. Now, veterinarians can become members of the American Animal Hospital Association, Mm -hmm. but their hospitals may not be, again, either they choose not to or just because they just don't have the physical plant able to maintain and follow those AHA, strict AHA standards. But, you know, what I tell people is that it keeps us honest. As a practitioner, it does. Yep. my staff appreciates the fact that we're American Animal Hospital. And you said it's the best kept secret. I let my clients know Good for that you. we are recommending this. We are doing Good. this. We have this facility. We have to charge for this because we have to adhere to an authority higher than our California Practice Act in my case. I agree. So and the, and there's um, areas that are really important to clients. Um, like and There's things that go on behind the scenes that you and I, we know we do a good job with things like pain management, anesthesia, making sure these animals are monitored properly under anesthesia. But right. these standards really do guarantee that you they really are doing it. That animals have tubes put down their throat when they're asleep and can't control their airway for things like surgeries and dentals. And, and also that pain is adequately monitored, that the staff is trained on how how to use it, how to assess pain in animals, and that they have a broad variety of medications to treat pain. It doesn't dictate medicine per se, but it does make sure that when animals are in that facility, there's a lot of care that goes into taking care of them to focusing on really good medical records because there are, that's an area where we as veterinarians can skimp because, you know, some of us grew up in an era where things were kind of scribbled down on little, you know, five by seven cards and put in a filing cabinet. And there's a lot of information that's missed when we do it that way. And that's no longer acceptable according to the AHA standards. And there's also areas with clients services, how clients are, how receptionists and technicians are trained to interact and educate clients. So I really think that people, when they go visit an AHA hospital, they can tell a difference almost immediately that it's different than potentially other hospitals they've gone to with their animals. You know, I, I hear it all the time. And I had a, I built a very pretty hospital. We were an award winner, American Design Award winner for the American, uh, you know, for a Veterinary Economics magazine. Yep. And it's amazing. People come in and, and they look at our, just even our receptionary and they go, wow. Wow. <laughs> I wish my, my own doctor's office was this nice. Right. Oh, but, and you, you hear that a but, lot, that you know, people wish they were being treated by veterinarians. You know? Right. And, uh, and yet in the back, you know, we have all the equipment, all the monitoring equipment as needed, separate, you know, x-ray facility behind a lead apron. I mean, all the things. And that's for the protection of our employees as well. And uh, pets and clients who may, you know, come back. And it's very important. So I, you know, I have always been a big fan. I think that my employees seem to be very proud of working at an AHA practice. They should be. And, 
One thing I notice also, and I do this all the time, and I think you and I have spoken about this, but if someone comes to me and they're moving, and they're moving to an area that I just don't know a veterinarian. I mean, look, I do a lot of speaking. I know veterinarians all over the country, but I may, it may be a city that I just don't know anybody. Right. I do, well, one of two things. I will call the closest colleague that I have in that mm-hmm. area and say, do you know anybody? Or I'm saying, go on to the American Animal Hospital Association website, yep. click in the city, and get a list of the AHA practices in that area. I can't vouch for the personality of the doctor, right. but I certainly can vouch for the facility. Absolutely. It is a very easy process. It's actually, it's called the hospital locator. And if your listeners just go to aha.org, so aaha.org, and there'll be a pet owner section there and that has the hospital locator. And you do just that. Because there aren't as many aha hospitals out there as there are non-accredited hospitals, you really kind of have to hunt. You really oh, do. Absolutely. So most, there will usually be a, an aha hospital in even a small town. And they're worth the drive, actually. Um, we did a survey from a marketing company and they said that there was a huge percentage of people that once they learned what AHA was, they were willing to spend more and drive more, drive further to get to that type of hospital. As oh, it really has, I, once people understand what it means, it, there's a, such a value associated with that for our pet owners, especially the ones that really want the very, very best care. Those pet owners who their pets are their children, they want to do the best for them. They want to do chemotherapy and blood transfusions and elaborate surgeries and all that type of thing. They really do appreciate the kind of quality that these AHA hospitals provide. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I noticed that, you know, here in California, and I'm sure many states as well, our CVMA, our California Vet Med Association, also does on-site inspections. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you that being an AHA practice, I have no problem. I bet this. you don't. If I, if I pass AHA, I can pass anything. That's exactly right. And there's even some states now that are waiving their state inspection if, they, if hospitals are AHA accredited because they've learned just what you know that, hey, why bother sending the manpower out from our local veterinary association if they're AHA accredited? man, then they know what they're doing. We'll just let them be. Exactly. So, uh, uh, so you're going to be out there speaking, and uh, yeah, are you, you going to visit hospitals too, or are you doing everything from within? I've been doing both, actually. Um, I've been visiting accredited hospitals, and really one of the things that I'm encouraging, uh, and we have a Facebook page, actually. We have a AHA accredited member Facebook page. If there's any veterinarians or veterinary technicians out there, um, hop on Facebook, and you'll find our page. And the, the whole point with the visits and the networking is to try to teach veterinarians how to market themselves. We are such a humble profession. We are taught that we are just good enough when we get out of vet school and it can be very hard for us to really brag on ourselves. Vets and you in general are comfortable bragging on our staff and bragging on our receptionists and bragging on our, you know, our clients, but we have a really hard time saying, you know what? I did this. I led up the AHA accreditation in my hospital. I brought us up to a great new set of standards and they just can't muster up the strength to market it themselves. So we're trying to teach veterinarians to get the AHA logo, which I've got on my shirt, have, you know, wear this kind of, these kind of scrubs, have the logo in their hospital, have a, the frame certificate that AHA provides, have that up in the hospital. So again, the clients that are walking in there go, hey, Dr. Werber, what's this whole AHA thing? And your staff, in theory, should be able to say, oh, don't worry about it, Dr. Werber, I'll talk to them. And they take <laughs> over and they explain what it is and what it meant to the hospital to get accredited. You know, we do, um, I run a, an educational program that runs in animal hospitals called Pet Care TV. I've seen and it, actually. For, I, was yeah. in, I was in an AHA hospital just last week and I saw you on there. Yeah, it was <laughs> so, great. So we have, for our AHA practices, we have a, both Dr. Bernadine and I uh-huh. have done little 90-second spot on AHA. That's to awesome. let people sitting in the waiting room know how lucky they are 
right. to be sitting in an AHA practice. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because you guys have gone above and beyond to make sure that, what is it, T's are crossed and I's are dotted when it comes to the way the clients are cared for and educated and the way the pets are cared for. We have a whole host of guidelines on how to, you know, vaccine protocols, pain management protocols, how to manage older pets, senior pet care, nutrition. We have a lot of, of guidelines that have been put together by the key opinion leaders of our industry, and they're updated on a regular basis. And these are used not only in AHA practices, but they're so valuable that people are using them even outside the practice and sort of setting some of the standards of how animals should be treated. Right. You know, it's really, it's really what I like about AHA, it is by veterinarians for veterinarians. Yes, anyway, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about Halloween. I know, Heather, you often worked in an emergency clinic, emergency yes. situation. So it's let's talk about some of the cautions, the precautions, and how to keep our pets safe during the upcoming Halloween. Don't go away. You're here with us live on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio, and we'll be right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. We mature, handsome types need a little special attention. Does your dog suffer from joint and arthritis pain? Deteriorating muscle and joint problems are very common in aging dogs. It's easy to alleviate your dog's discomfort at home with ProSense. ProSense joint care products can help make your dog's life as pain-free as possible, providing effective relief for flare-ups and also lubricate and strengthen damaged cartilage. ProSense products are veterinary formulated and recommended to ensure the very best for your pet. Try ProSense today. Your dog will thank you for it. Pets love life. Love them back with ProSense. At Red Barn, our pet food ingredients work overtime. They aren't just there for show. Dandelion greens work to maintain a healthy digestive system. Salmon oil works to enhance the immune system. Green-lipped mussels work to support joint health. These hard-working ingredients support your dog's active, healthy life. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Try our grain-free stews. The only pet food with Red Barn Bully Sticks. Do you know that moment when your dirty dog's about to jump in your nice, clean car? You can avoid all the cleanup and mess with a 4K9 seat cover. 4K9s makes heavy-duty seat covers and cargo liners that will blend seamlessly with the interior of your vehicle. You can find us at 4K9s.com, that's the number 4, K-N-I-N-E-S.com, or on Amazon.com. 4K9s makes nothing but the best for your best friend. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber here on Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff with a very special guest, Dr. Heather Lenzer a uh, practitioner and now working with the American Animal Hospital Association. And Heather, you used to work in emergency. I know you did, had a lot of emergency shifts. 
I did. Let's talk about Halloween. All Let's right. Let's talk about some of the problems associated with Halloween. And of course, when people think of dangers and Halloween, the first thing that comes to mind is chocolate. chocolate. Yes. Let's let's give the real down and dirty about candy, chocolate. And why don't you uh, go ahead and uh, inform us, educate us? Well, the biggest thing is that it's all about the quality of the chocolate. And at Halloween, we are not giving out our Ghirardelli 100% cacao fancy chocolate. We're just not. We're sending out, you know, tiny chocolate bars that may have a coating of chocolate on it, dipped in chocolate. And most of this is milk chocolate. And milk chocolate tends not to be toxic unless they eat an incredible amount and they're in a tiny little dog. Like so many other things, chocolate toxicity is dose dependent. So the higher the quality of the chocolate, and in general, the darker the chocolate and the smaller the dog, the more toxic it becomes. We have so many calls into our hospital, and then there's two great poison control hotlines, the Pet Poison Helpline and the ASPCA has a hotline as well. And both of those get inundated in and around uh, Halloween time because of everybody freaking out about their Great Dane eating half of a tiny little Butterfinger. And it's just not, you just won't see issues with it. I usually tell my clients that, you know, just really be careful next time. If there's any leftover, bring them to me. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So things actually that are toxic that some people know about and some people don't is sugar-free gum has a sweetener that you know about. It's called xylitol. Xylitol. It starts with an X, X XY, xylitol. That actually is very toxic. Um, It doesn't seem to be a big deal in people, but in dogs, when they eat it, it actually acts like they have a huge dose of sugar and it causes a huge insulin release, which then through a, a very different pathways ends up driving the dog's blood sugar really, really low. So it can cause seizures because the dog's blood sugar becomes really low. And then a day or two later, actually liver failure. So we think we're being all healthy for the neighborhood kids because we're giving them sugar-free gum. However, the kid's teeth might be okay, but if that dog gets into the Halloween candy and gets to that gum, that could be a big deal. We could have a very sick dog and a very big ICU bill at the local specialty hospital taking care of that xylitol problem. Now, one thing I talked about a couple of weeks about xylitol is some, believe it or not, sugarless or sugar-free or low-sugar peanut butters Uh, are using xylitol as a sweetener. And a lot of people, a lot of us, Yep. You know, recommend if you want to get your dog to get pill, put a little wrap in a little peanut butter. Exactly. But you got to be very careful now if you're using that kind of peanut butter because that could be very, very dangerous. How about wrappers? Oh, I, if they eat enough wrappers, they can definitely get, you know, really obstructed, frankly, just right. really constipated from wrappers. And sometimes that requires surgery for us to go in and, I mean, don't want to be too gross here, but make a little hole in the intestines and scoop out a whole bunch of plastic wrappers that have gotten, that have tied up this intestines and knots. So we do want to take that Halloween bag, not just leave it on the floor, not leave it on the kid's bed, but put it up away from the animal. So what do you think about costumes for the pets? Yeah, absolutely. It always blows my mind to find out how many millions of dollars people spend on their pets' Halloween costumes. And I think it's at over 300 and it's over 300 million, $300 million on Halloween costumes. So when you, if you decide to do that with your pet, it's totally cool. Like obviously lots and lots of people do it. You want to make sure it's something that's comfortable for the pet and won't cause them to be scared or freak out. So we don't want anything covering up their eyes, anything constricting their throat. Want to make sure they can move freely and that they're not scared. Because if you go and dress up your wiener dog like a hot dog, depending on that dog's temperament, that might freak them out. And now you have 
your house is getting invaded by zombies and witches and the dogs are being attacked by this hot dog that he's wearing. So I would recommend if you want to do the, the costume, do it a couple days beforehand. Make sure your dog's really comfortable in it and watch them carefully and make sure that they can breathe and run and see properly. We don't want any scared or injured dogs from that. And you made a great point. Let's talk about, you know, when kids wear their costumes. You can have the sweetest dog on the planet and knows. We already talked this a couple of weeks ago that dogs actually understand and have the ability to facially recognize. Isn't that cool? Okay. I know. But it's so, cool. so cool. But when all of a sudden you have someone knocking at your door or you're, you take your dog out with you trick-or-treating and these groups of kids are coming, but they don't look like kids. Right. They look totally different and they don't have that, that facial recognition. So even the sweetest, happiest dog may not be. So uh, exactly, you know, we've seen that as well, I'm sure. And so I would, and I've, I've made that mistake on my own. I had a really, really super mellow dog. I brought him trick or treating with me, and he normally, I mean, he's the kind of he's the dog I bring on TV with me. He's that mellow, but he did not have a good trick or treating experience because of all these masked children running around. It was dark outside, um, and he got really upset. So that was not a fun event. Um, and one of the other things that parents will do to keep their kids safe is they'll put glow sticks on the kids or, or wear, have them wear jewelry or bracelets. Great safety idea. For some odd reason, though, cats like to chew on these things. I oh. mean, we can't get our cats to eat food or take pills, but they'll chew on stuff like this, right? And, um, and this can cause a lot of irritation in their mouths, uh, lots of drooling, vomiting, and they're really uncomfortable. So if you do decide to keep your have glow sticks around, again, keep those away from curious animals because you just don't, don't want to have them have issues. If they do get into something like this, though, especially a cat, it's hard to like rinse a cat's mouth out with water. You can't make a cat do anything they don't want to do. Right. So use like a can of tuna or a can of chicken that is has a lot of water content that that cat would enjoy drinking. And that can help rinse out a cat's mouth without anybody getting overly stressed out. And also, let's talk for a second about, you know, you have a dog. Most of our dogs, even sweet ones, are watchdogs. They like to yes. guard their homes. Mm -hmm. So I want, you know, for a second, you have to think about it from the dog's perspective. It's not like a visitor coming over once in the evening early on to join you for dinner. Right. But it's every two minutes or less. Right. right. This poor dog. So uh, what are some suggestions that we can sort of share with our pet parents to keep our dogs a bit more sane during I, this time? Right, because they are. They're being invaded. Um, well, certain dogs, this might you just might need to board them. You know, talk to your veterinarian about having them stay overnight at their hospital. Other dogs, though, you can keep them busy and away from the front door. So I love treat dispensing toys. Things that you can put even their kibble in, put inside and they kick it around and it can take them a while to get all the food out and then they're focused on that toy they're focused on the food inside of it and hopefully you can get them not to focus on the front door I also like other chew toys that, you know, you stuff food inside. I'm not a big fan of anything that's really, really hard because it can break their teeth and then we end up having teeth abscesses and fractured teeth and that kind of thing. So just keeping them really busy away from the door and focused on something that's important to them or at the veterinary hospital in a boarding facility might be the best thing if you have a really upset dog. There's also medications as well. There's anti-anxiety medications. That's a, a very important part of behavior training now. And that may be something to think about as well. And there's certain pheromones that you can have wafting through the air that can calm down some animals. Right. And some of these medications, by the way, are more like supplements. They're fairly natural. So speak with your veterinarian. There's some options out there. Absolutely. Now, one last thing before we go. And you and I have spoken about this on air. Uh -huh. And that is the many states that have chosen to legalize some adult 
additions to festivities, i.e. marijuana. And let's talk about that for a second because many people think it's cute, it's okay for our pets. But you know, one of the biggest problems would be how these things are ingested. Why don't you comment right. on that? The big thing is the edible marijuana that's baked into especially things that contain chocolate. So something like a brownie, a big plate of brownies, that could be made with some pretty high quality chocolate, first of all. So if if a small dog just ate the plate of brownies and there was nothing else in it besides chocolate, you could have chocolate toxicity on your hands. But now there could be marijuana or THC oils, cannabis oils baked into the brownie. So if you and I were to partake in that, you and I would have a piece of that brownie pot. You know, we wouldn't eat the whole plate of brownies. And perhaps when people eat this, they eat it slowly. They don't gobble the whole thing up. We'll try telling that to a dog, you know, that don't eat that giant plate. And that's what happens. And so we'll have dogs that have come into the ER that have gotten into a large stash of pot that's baked into, actually baked into the brownies, and they've eaten the entire thing. And it can be in cookies, baklava. There's a whole host of things that the pot can be put into that a dog might find very appetizing. Right. So that can be a huge deal. I think it was a statistic, and I think something like a fourfold in Colorado in emergency facilities, a fourfold increase in marijuana toxicity in pets since the legalization. Exactly. There were 500 cases of it that were called into the ASPCA poison control this year, as opposed to about 300 the year before. And those are just the ones where people are calling and seeking treatment. Right. Um, Fortunately, you and I know that pot toxicity being fatal is actually pretty rare. Correct. But these dogs do need supportive care because they can really get, they can get very cold. Their blood pressure can get really low. They can almost look comatose. And so while they probably won't die, they do need supportive care through fluids, heat supplementation. Sometimes they'll have seizures. So we do have to keep an eye out for that and treat them accordingly. Right. But I'd say in general, veterinarians are, we're a pretty easygoing bunch in this regard. We're not going to condemn someone or yell at someone or turn somebody in if they tell us this has happened. What we need to know is, is it what I think it is? Because if it's not pot toxicity, there is something really, really wrong with this dog. And it could have a brain tumor, a brain infection. And if you're like, oh, you know what? Actually, just got into my Halloween brownies. Everybody breathes a sigh of relief. We know how to treat the dog. And in a day or two, he'll be right as rain. Absolutely. All right, Dr. Heather Lenzer, thank you for joining us here on Let's Talk Pets. And uh, so we, first of all, um, want to once again thank our sponsors. I want to wish you the best of luck with your new position, the American Animal Hospital Association. I want to thank our sponsors, ProSense Pet Products and Kong. And um, whenever you'd like to come on as a guest, if you want to throw a topic at me, we'd love to have you back. I'd love to come back. Great. So uh, uh, have a great week, everybody. Thank you for joining us here on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank our producer, Mark. Um, and uh, uh, please, if you have any questions, comments, or anything for Dr. Lenzer or myself, you can go ahead and send us an email. Uh, you can send me, Dr. Jeff, drjeff at petliferadio.com. Or you can send us, you can log on uh, next week. We'll be here next, uh, same time next Sunday and uh, share anything. And, let, and as we get close to Halloween, I'm going to want to hear especially after Halloween, how it went for you, how, how uh, uh, great or not so great <laughs> it went for you and your pets. So, so uh, let's keep in touch. All right. Have a great week, everybody. And we'll see you next week. Heather, thanks again. Thanks Bye-bye. again. Bye, everyone. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>